Do you believe God performs miracles? Today on Daily in the Word, Dr. Paul Chapel reveals how Jesus can make your impossible possible. I don't have to go to church and I can still be a Christian. But may I help you understand, my friend, that on the most elementary level, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. You do not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if you do not, you will have a very poor relationship. And the church is God's place of love and nurture, encouragement and challenge. And this is a wonderful relationship. This is the Lord's church. Over 7 billion people occupy our world, and it's not by accident. God chose our generation to make a difference, but He doesn't want us to do it alone. Find out how God wants to use you in our series, Jesus Can. Welcome to Daily in the Word. This program features the teaching and preaching of Dr. Paul Chapel, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. In today's series, you will be inspired and challenged to grow in the areas of faith, serving, generosity, and evangelism. And now, here's Dr. Paul Chapel with part one of a message called, Jesus Can Do the Miraculous. This morning, I want us to just draw the curtain back a little bit, a little bit beyond the crowds, and look more closely into some of the close relationships of Jesus Christ. We're going to look this morning at some of those that were very close friends of the Lord Jesus, and specifically, we're going to study the lives of Mary and Martha and Lazarus this morning. You see, while Jesus ministered to the thousands, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about his closest friends. But in John chapter 11, we're introduced to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who lived in the town of Bethany, which was about two miles from the city of Jerusalem. Now, most of you that have ever studied this story in the Bible, you know that Lazarus had become very, very ill. In John chapter 11, it was very dire, and Mary and Martha made a plea to Jesus, and they essentially said, come quickly, Lazarus is very, very sick. And it's interesting in the Bible that the Lord Jesus, as he comes to Lazarus, we'll see in a moment, Lazarus had already died. And in this passage, we're going to see the miraculous hand of God in raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, besides the Lord Jesus himself, there were three people who rose up from the dead. First of all, there was a young 12-year-old girl in Luke chapter 8. And then there was a young man who had been dead several hours in Luke chapter 7. And then, of course, here in John 11, we're going to see Lazarus as he was raised up from the grave. Now, as we come to this particular passage, and by way of introduction, I want you to see that everything that happens in this passage has two purposes that God tells us about. The first purpose is that we might see the glory of God. And I want you to see that in John 11 and verse 4, the Bible says, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And so God, in his plan, determined that the death of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus, the purpose of this would be for the glory of God. And sometimes we wonder, why are there trials in our life? And God always has a reason, and he wants to be glorified through those seasons. The second 
purpose for this miracle is that men and women would believe on God. And I want you to see that in John 20, 31, and it's in your notes, the Bible said. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So whenever we see the miracles in the Bible, there are two purposes. In other words, God wasn't just showing off and doing stuff for the sake of it. God had two purposes. One, uh, that Jesus would be glorified. And two, that people would see the miracles and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we refer to them as a sign gift. In other words, this was a sign so that people would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we open up the passage, the first thing that we see is very amazing to me. And I want you to notice here the delay of Jesus. He has just heard about Lazarus. And I want you to come with me to verse number four. The Bible says, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now, I want you to notice that phrase, he abode two days still. Now, if Jesus, having heard the news, would have quickly left where he was around the town of Betharbara, and if he would have quickly gone down to Bethany, he may have even made it in one day. It was only about 20 miles from where he was to where Lazarus was. But strangely, we read in the Bible that he abode two days still. In other words, it's interesting because in one verse it says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And by the way, how many of you believe that to be absolutely true? God is love. Amen? He loved them. But when he heard about their need, the Bible says he waited two days before he went to help them. How many of you have ever had a time in your life where your heart was heavy and it seemed like God was delaying in answering your prayer? Anybody else or am I the only one? And what we're going to learn this morning is that God's delays are not God's denials. That God is working even when we can't see how or we don't understand what's going on. So the delay of Jesus, if you're taking notes, is first of all, according to his sovereignty. It's according to his sovereignty. Now, God's sovereignty is the truth that nothing happens outside of his ultimate control and permission. So God, even while it looks like this is an out-of-control situation, Lazarus is going to die, God is still at work according to his plan. Now, in your notes, I want you to notice Isaiah 46, 9. It says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So God says, My counsel will stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So even when Mary and Martha might have thought, what's going on? Why is the Lord delaying? God's will would still be accomplished. Jesus' delay uh, didn't line up with their thinking, but it was in accordance with the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God may be defined as the exercise of His supremacy, that He is supreme and that He is in control. Now, sometimes uh, we think things are in control and they're not. 
Uh, and when that is obvious to us, we must recognize that God is still in control. I heard about a cowboy that went to buy some life insurance, and the insurance salesman said to him, he said, now, have you had any accidents in the last year? And the cowboy said, no. He said, no. He said, I was kicked by a horse, and I was chased by a raging bull, and I was bitten by a snake, and that pinned me up for a few days. And the salesman was sort of surprised. He said, well, weren't those accidents? To which the rancher said, no, they did it on purpose. <laughs> and sometimes in life we have these things happen to us, and we might be snake bitten, or we might have somebody say something against us, or finances pile up, and we might wonder, God, what are you doing? But we learn here this morning that God had a purpose in all of this timing. It was according to His sovereignty. And notice, secondly, it was according to His knowledge. You see, sometimes the devil wants to tell us, God doesn't know who you are, God doesn't know where you are, He doesn't know what's going on. But the Bible says in verse 11, These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Now, Jesus knew then from the very beginning that Lazarus was going to die. Now, sometimes in the Bible we see the word sleep, and we might think it's like someone taking a nap or something like that. But in this case, it means Lazarus is going to sleep. It means Lazarus is going to die. And, and in fact, when Jesus said that in verse 11, look at verse 12 in your Bible. It says, Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. In other words, if he dies, that's, that's even better for him. So they actually thought Jesus was talking about death. But what Jesus is simply saying is, I know that he's going to die. This is not going to catch Jesus by surprise. Now this morning, I want you to notice in your notes this morning, a couple of, th a couple of thoughts just by way of takeaways for you. How do I respond when I feel God is delaying? Okay, I know that God knows what's going to happen, but why is he taking two days or two months? Why is this trial taking so long? Let me give you a few bits of, of pastoral counseling this morning. First of all, when you feel like you're waiting a long time on God, I want to encourage you, keep praying to the Lord. Keep praying to the Lord. Yet, because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. What does that teach us? It teaches us that Jesus is pleased with our continual prayers coming to Him. And I want to encourage you, keep coming to the Lord with your burden. Secondly, remember that God sometimes accomplishes His plans through unanswered prayer. How many of you have ever prayed something and later in life you were like, I'm kind of glad God didn't answer that prayer request. Have you ever done that? In other words, sometimes God answers through unanswered prayer. If you've ever read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. You'll know in that chapter that there were some people who conquered kingdoms and there were some people that died a martyr's death. And yet through it all, they were faithful to the Lord. It would seem that some prayers were answered, some prayers were not answered, but in all things, God's will was accomplished. And this is one of the tragedies of the so-called prosperity gospel, these television preachers that teach that it's always God's will to do whatever you ask Him to do. My friend, uh, the prosperity gospel teachers are false teachers because we must learn to pray according to the will of God. It's not us demanding our will on God, it's us trusting God in the answer, okay? 
And we see that sometimes God accomplishes His plan even through unanswered prayer because He sees the bigger picture that we may not always understand. Let me say thirdly, never stop believing the Lord while you're waiting for the Lord. Never stop believing the Lord. In other words, don't interpret how God feels about you by your present circumstance. Let me say that again. Don't interpret how God feels about you by your present circumstance. How many of you know that you could never be any more loved by God than you are right now? But sometimes when our prayers aren't immediately answered, we think, well, what did I do wrong? And how did I not measure up? And we kind of get into this performance thought thinking that I must do certain things in order for God to love me. And I want to tell you something. God does chasten us when we're unfaithful, but God never stops loving us. And we don't have to question His love for us when tough times are happening in our life. And then let me say fourthly, just keep abiding with Jesus during these waiting times. Keep walking with Him, reading His Word, keep abiding with Him in your prayers. And so the delay of Jesus was a time where the faith of Mary and Martha might be strengthened. And we must keep our eyes on the Lord during those delays. Notice secondly, not only do we see the delay of Jesus here, but I want you to notice secondly, the doubt of the disciples. Now during this delay time, Mary, Martha, and even Thomas, who's mentioned in this story, they begin to doubt. And you know, oftentimes Satan wants us to doubt God during those difficult times. And, and uh, Jesus and his disciples had been walking together for three years. And it's interesting to me, they had seen many miracles, they had seen uh, many, many wonderful things happen, but suddenly here they are doubting once again what God is doing doubting whether Jesus really knew best for their life. And I want you to see a couple of things they doubted. First of all, they were doubting the very power of God. They were doubting the power of God. Look at verse 16 at what Thomas says, if you would. Verse 16, John 11 says this. Then said Thomas, by the way, what was Thomas known as? The doubter, right? Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus. By the way, how many of you are glad your parents did not name you Didymus? Okay, all right, just making sure you're awake. So, then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. All right, now, I don't think Eeyore was existing in the first century, but if he was, this would have been Eeyore right here. All right, let's go to Bethany. We might as well die with Lazarus, you know. You ever get around somebody like that? The trials come and they're just sure it's the end, you know, and they're doubting that God's going to help and God's, whether God's going to do something through this trial. You see, Thomas had faith in Jesus as Messiah, but not in everything else. And that's how we are sometimes. We say, Lord, I accept you as my Savior. I trust you to keep my soul from hell and to take me to heaven for all of eternity. I trust you with my soul. I'm just not sure what you're doing with my job. I trust you with my soul, but I don't know that I can trust you with my health. You see how silly we are sometimes? Thomas said, Lord, I believe that you're God and the Messiah, but, but I, I just doubt you during this time. And what I want to say this morning, if we can trust God with our soul, shouldn't we trust Him with everything else? Amen. And here we see that Thomas was, was full of doubt, doubting the power of God. And, and Martha was doubting. Look at verse 22, what Martha says. She says, 
But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. And Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, she's saying, yeah, I know everyone's going to raise up at the resurrection, but it's not like you could raise him right now or something. I know that we're going to be raised in the last day. And so here we see Thomas and Martha, they're, they're filled with doubt about really what God can do. They're doubting his power. And Satan wants you to doubt the power of God. But I want to remind you of the words of Jesus. He said it this way, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus doesn't have some power, he has all power. And we must never doubt that. Notice, secondly, they were doubting whether he cared. Sometimes the devil wants you to wonder about whether God even loves you. Well, why did God let this happen? And why am I going through all these troubles on the backside of the desert? And sometimes Christians begin to complain and they begin to wonder if God even cares. And I want you to notice two verses in John 11. First, look at verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. And then look at verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now why is it when trials come into our life, Oftentimes, we immediately want to blame the Lord. Lord, if you really cared for me, this would have never happened. And by the way, oftentimes when tragedy comes, people ask these two questions. Why didn't God prevent this? Why does God allow suffering? You hear about a, a tornado or an earthquake, and, and people will immediately say, well, why does God allow this to happen? And many times, atheists will jump right on this, and they'll say, see, there is no God. If there was a God, this would never have happened. In fact, I have in your notes the quote of one prominent atheist, and you'll notice what he said. Anyone who is confident that he frequently comes across misery in the world may conclude with equal confidence that there is no such thing as an all-powerful and all-benevolent God. And this mathematically disposes of official Christianity and has long been known. And may I say to that, nothing could be farther from the truth. For someone to say that there is heartache in the world, therefore there is no God, is the most ignorant statement that could be said. And matter of fact, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. For someone to claim to be an atheist, it means that they themselves have been all over the universe, on every planet. They've looked under every rock. They themselves know that there is no God, and they themselves have become their own God in that very moment. For an atheist to say that when trials come, there is no God, is is ridiculous let me give you four truths to remember when trials come and when people doubt these are not necessarily in your notes you might want to jot a few of them down things to remember when bad things happen when there's a shooting when there's a trial just a few things that Christians should remember first God gave man a free will so that man could experience the highest good in life which is loving God God gave every man a free will so that man could experience the highest good in life. Okay? And that good is loving God. So God gave you a free will so that you could choose Him. 
And if you have accepted Christ as Savior, you have chosen God. But not everyone accepts Christ as Savior. And some ridicule Jesus Christ and curse the name of Jesus Christ while they smoke their pot and live their wild life and live in promiscuity and watch their games and watch their wicked movies until thoughts are planted in their mind until down the way they find themselves either in a shooting or some difficult situation. Why? Because God gave them a free will and they chose to live against God. You see, God has given all of us a free will. Adam and Eve used their free will to reject God. And the Bible speaks of that. And it says, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. And you see today much of the difficulty and evil that we experience in the world is because of a man who chose in his own free will to disobey God. And when men choose to disobey God, evil will always be the result. The second thing to remember when bad things happen is that any pain in our lives has been allowed by God for His infinite wisdom and in His infinite wisdom. So when pain comes into our lives, God in His infinite wisdom has a reason. How many of you would agree with me, God's a whole lot smarter than us? Come on, help me out here this morning. And when bad things happen, we as Christians trust that in his wisdom there is a purpose. Look in your notes at Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That which should distinguish the suffering of believers from unbelievers is the confidence that we have that all of our suffering is under the control of a mighty God. You say, well, I just am suffering physically, or I'm homesick, or I'm going through a difficult time in my life. God knows all about these things. And God knows that the difficulties in our life are under the sovereign control of His wisdom. Thirdly, remember this when bad things happen. God is at work in every situation. God is at work in every situation, even when we don't know how. Do you remember the verse, Romans 8, 28? And we know that all things work together for what? For good. To them that love God, to those that are the called according to His purpose. And we must remember that even when bad things happen, God is working for our good. And then fourthly, God will soon make everything right for all eternity. Let's say that together. God will soon make everything right for all eternity, all right? God will soon make everything right for all eternity. Now, I want you to look in your notes at Revelation 21 and verse 4. I believe that's in your notes. Revelation 21, 4. God will make everything right for all of eternity. And I want you to read Revelation 21, 4 and 5 with me. So get your eyes on it. We're going to read it together as one big class today. Revelation 21, 4 and 5, all right? Ready? Begin. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So you see, this morning we must keep our confidence in the Lord, that even though we don't understand the pain and suffering, that in his knowledge he has a purpose. 
and that all things will work together for good and that many of these bad things are the result of people's free will and choices that they have made but that in the end God will wipe away all tears and there will be no sorrow and there will be no death and all of the wrongs will be made right and we look forward to that day of perfection in the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Daily in the Word with Dr. Paul Chapel, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. If you'd like to connect with Pastor Chapel on Facebook or Twitter, go to paulchapel.com and click on his social media links. While you're there, be sure to sign up for his free Daily in the Word email devotional and take a look at all the helpful resources. Again, that's paulchapel.com. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Dr. Chapel serves as a pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church, and he is the author of many books. But most of all, he has a passion and love for you. If you've been helped through Dr. Chapel's ministry, he'd love to hear your story. Visit us on our website today, where you can listen to today's entire message, become a partner in the Word, and sign up for Pastor Chapel's Daily in the Word email devotional. Visit us at paulchapel.com. And thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to discover God's answers for today's challenges here on Daily in the Word.